Our sponsor today of Happy Sack Infused is Nathan For You. Nathan For You continues its new season on Comedy Central. Nathan Fielder, the comedian who brought you dumb Starbucks and Pig Saves Goat, is back with more outlandish ideas to help real small businesses. This is his most ambitious season yet. You have to see it to believe it. Nathan For You airs on Comedy Central Thursdays at 10, 9 Central or anytime on the Comedy Central app. Check it out. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I am Josh Horowitz, and we are off and running on a very, very special edition of the show. Every show is special, but this one, I'm very pleased to say, features a gentleman who's a ginormous movie star. He's a ginormous man, period, and frankly doesn't do a lot of podcasting. I don't think he's done one before this um, this one that we're releasing here at this very moment. It is Mr. Vin Diesel, star of The Last Witch Hunter. So we're going to talk about that and other things, uh, but before I proceed into the, the proper podcast, let me introduce Sammy again. You guys know and love her. Sammy, hey! Hey, Josh! Wow, How's it going? That's not your real voice. Let's hear your no. real voice. <laughs> hey! Oh God! <laughs> I'm actually I'm very I'm trying to like contain my excitement right now. Why? What are you so excited about For today? Vin. This is good. This is a good one. How I, long? How long did you guys chat? About forty five minutes. Wow. Yeah. This was a uh, this was a little coup because he's um you know he he selects his press uh, very carefully and as I said I think he hadn't done a podcast I think he did Nerdist which is coming out after this one so you'll get a double dose of uh, of Vin this week in the podcasting realm um so yeah. Let me give you a little context of this conversation, okay? So the movie that is opening this Friday is The Last Witch Hunter, which is a, as it sounds, I mean, this is a crazy kind of dungeon. Is it a comedy? Yes, it's a wacky (laughs) comedy. No, it's kind of like a Dungeons and Dragons inspired, um, you know, action adventure. With Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood, Michael Caine, Rose Leslie, if you're a Game of Thrones fan. Really cool cast. Um, and, And Vin is, if you're a fan of Vin, you probably know this, but he is a legit hardcore Tolkien, Dungeons and Dragons, like full on geek. Makes me look like the coolest Duff. guy in school. No, seriously. Oh, I love, oh, yeah. my, my heart is full. Yeah, so it's good to see, you know, legitimately to see a guy that is coming at this from a place of of, of, of fervent passion and excitement. I mean, this is his baby. Um, and we get into that. We get, this is an interesting conversation in that Vin, so Vin's a talker. First of all, you'll you'll hear that. Like there are a couple a couple stories he delivers here that probably last ten minutes, but it's great. It's it's riveting and kind of fascinating. He we talk about his beginnings. Um, again, if you're not familiar with Vin, like he really came from indie filmmaking roots. He he shot and directed and starred in a short film called uh, Multifacial that landed in I think it landed in Cannes and Steven Spielberg saw it, cast him in Saving Private Ryan, and the rest is history basically. So um, we get into a lot of that. Um, and we talk about, there's an amazing story in here, just to tease it out, um, where he was actually in the movie, a very f- kind of forgettable movie that I kind of liked, uh, Reindeer Games. Remember Reindeer Games? I do remember Reindeer ben Games. Ben Affleck, Charlie Stone, yeah. right? He was in that film. He's not in that film. So he was he was in that film and he was either fired or left the film. It's it's a little fuzzy. You didn't get into it. Well, we did get into it. He t- tells an amazing story of. I mean, I think it's it's an informative story, frankly, for any kind of like you know young actors out there, actors that are coming into their own and kind of like you know they have their process and then they work with like a this, this film was directed by a legend in John Frankenheimer who was like you know 
had been through it all and had his own way of doing things and, and they kind of came to blows. So I think it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of like capsule snapshot of sort of like a young actor versus an old school director and like them coming to blows and kind of figuring out how that's going to work. It didn't work clearly. So, so look <laughs> forward to well. that. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it was fun. I, this also just contextually, um, this happened literally right after uh, his New York Comic Con panel for The Last Witch Hunter, which uh, I was lucky enough to moderate with him and Elijah uh, and Rose and the director. And so we literally came off stage, went to a green room. Um, poor Vin was shoveling down a turkey sandwich in the opening moments of the interview. Where was it from? Uh, I don't know. I didn't provide him the turkey sandwich. I don't know. No, but I, you didn't ask him or where'd talk you, about hey, it? Hey, where, where'd you get that? Can, can I get a bite? Was the best turkey sandwich in Manhattan, Ben? <laughs> I, know, I, felt, I felt badly because the first minute or two of the interview is him trying to wolf down the sandwich as I'm just monologuing. So. I feel like it's important important to say that like before you listen to this podcast go to vin's facebook page oh yeah and why it's, it's like you can get the if, whole experience if you want the full-on yeah. 360 experience <laughs> thank you for reminding me sammy first, first of all let's give props to vin for being like i think he's the third most whatever number of Facebook friends. He has a hundred million. His Facebook videos have brought me <laughs> that, like pure joy. Like the way a child feels he joy. He likes to sing. It's, oh my he, God. He's not afraid to show his body. <laughs> that body. <laughs> and um, and yeah, so he, he recorded in, in, a, in a fashion that only Vin Diesel can do a um, video of him uh, backstage right before the panel and walking onto stage. Um, so it's it's just, actually it's kind of fun to just be in the shoes of like a big movie star as they're walking out to three thousand people, mm-hmm. super excited. So check that out it, after this. It's very funny, and then come back for the interview. Um, and other... then it's like you're Vin Diesel for that full moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this if you want to be Vin Diesel for half a day, it's basically Vin Diesel Fantasy Camp. Is this <laughs> podcast for you? <laughs> I didn't know I wanted to be Vin Diesel, but now maybe I do. <laughs> maybe you are. You're like slowly morphing into him. Yeah, it's gonna take a while. Um, <laughs> other things to mention: uh, we put out a really fun video um, after our sketch with Jack Black last week. Um, uh, for his film Goosebumps, which, by the way, is a super cute movie for the family. But uh, this sketch is him as a, uh, a ghost murderer. Um, it's a little darker, a weird, fun. All the stuff we do in After Hours is hopefully weird and fun, but this is definitely that. Um, it is. I just watched it. Yeah. And I laughed, like, four times. I'm just kidding. It was very funny. <laughs> it really was. I love Jack Black. He's, uh, I've said before, he's been on the podcast. He's, like, exactly what you hope Jack Black would be is Jack Black. Like your funny older brother. Yeah, yeah. He was awesome. He was also wearing the same exact shirt uh, that I saw him wearing the last time I saw him like six months ago. Was that the shirt he wore in the sketch? Yeah. Was a, that that was really his? That's his, yeah. I thought that you, it was like... Per, That's not it, wardrobe. You can't <laughs> afford that kind of thing. Like, why does he have that? <laughs> I, no judgment. Whatever. No, it's amazing. He, Only he can pull that off. That's true. <laughs> um, like if you wore that, you'd no. be... I'm shot dead in the street. <laughs> Who's hey you? You look stupid. <laughs> um, and we should tease if you're listening to this um, on Monday when we release it um, tomorrow, Tuesday at noon. We're releasing something that is really special. Uh, his name comes up every damn episode. There we go. <laughs> but we have to mention it because his film is out, and we shot a sketch. We shot a sketch with Tom Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain. Mm-hmm. That is. <laughs> There's a gimp. There's a gimp. We don't want to reveal too much more than that. It's our third sketch with a gimp oh, over the uh, years. Can I just give a little? Okay, I trust a you. A little bit yeah. of 
Josh did say when he came back that there were about 20 kisses that he received on the cheek. <laughs> cheek, 20 ki- cheek kisses from Jessica and Tom. Yeah, combined. I, I yeah. Can't, yeah, there was a, there was a lot of Not love. like, not, oh, I thought like each one of them gave I would have 20. to go back to the videotape to see, to actually enumerate it. We'll get back to you next week on an actual number. But there was a lot. There's a lot of love in the sketch. There's a lot of aggression. There's there's a lot of, yes, Sammy can in the I back. Can I do yeah. a follow-up? Yeah, please. Did they um, switch off on who kissed you on the cheek, or was it like Tom went in and did ten kisses, and then Jessica went in and did ten kisses? It was kind of like um, like a it was a kind of like a double tap from Jessica, and then Tom came in for a double tap on and, each take, and we did oh, multiple so each takes. Did, okay, as I recall, it was oh, all this a was blur. part it's of the sketch. <laughs> I thought just like as a goodbye. No. It's like, Who loves it more? <laughs> no. no. Um, yes, there's dancing in the sketch. There's a gimp in the sketch. There's kissing in the sketch. It's everything you want in an after hours, basically. <laughs> um, no, very proud of it. We're editing it as we uh, tape this today, but I think it's going to come out great. So look forward to that on the MTV News YouTube page. Um, and what else to say? Uh, this this week, just in terms of movies coming out, um, you guys should check out. Um, have you heard about this new Sarah Silverman movie? I smile back. I have. They say like she's going to win an Oscar. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's always a, a tough field. She should certainly be in that race because she's amazing in it. Yeah. Like it's super dramatic. It is. Um, um, basically about a, a woman who's just wrestling with addiction issues and is just basically very depressed. It's, it's, a, it's a very sad but poignant uh, character study. And she, yeah, to her credit, she really is amazing in it. And I think will open up a whole new aspect of her career with us. So no funny. No funny. I don't think I smiled much in this one. Yeah. Um, but that's out Friday. Uh, Rock the Casbah, if you need your Bill Murray fix, is out. Or if mm-hmm. you just want to go back and listen to our Bill Murray podcast that we recorded at San Diego Comic-Con, check that out. And of course... The last witch hunter. <laughs> that wasn't even Josh doing that. Ghost just came into the room. Vin just jumped in. That's my Vin Diesel. Did you record yes. your Bill Murray podcast before or after he stole Cheetos from our production office? <laughs> um, right before. That was amazing, huh? That was amazing. Well, it was like, it was a little bittersweet for me because... I mean, one, it's Bill Murray coming right. into the production office. So, like, so again, context. So we had con- just, yeah, we had just done. Context. I just moderated this uh, panel at San Diego Comic Con. Just like the opportunity of a lifetime. Bill Murray, amazing. An hour. It was just phenomenal. Then he came over to MTV's kind of production space slash um, studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, did an interview with me there. Um, the only interview he did at Comic Con, <laughs> and then um, and then yes, yeah, sauntered into our production <laughs> yeah, office. Yeah, we're so like all the worker bee. We're all in there, like on our computers with our headphones in, like, and and Bill Murray walks in, and it's just like the whole energy shifted. Yeah, what happened from your perspective? From okay, okay, so I'm sitting and I'm facing the food table so i monitor what everyone takes not to judge but to know how much is left of certain items sure and there are certain items that go really fast what goes fast in your funions ew really oh my god have you ever had one of course i've had a funion look at me yes well then how i don't believe you have because you just why would you make that reaction i don't like like the consistency i feel like it dissolves in my hand like it's like a little brittle i this actually um well, shout out to Joel Hannick. I wish he was here right now. Uh, I don't normally say that, but I do right now because he would back me up on the Funyuns. Mm. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> the Funyuns, um, sour straws, any sort of like a gummy candy. Yeah, gummy, I can say. Yeah. Like a, a licorice. Yeah. Josh always likes the Diet Cokes. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps me spry. <laughs> <laughs> he just 
injects it right into the side of his neck. You can't see this right now, but there's an IV dripping yeah. right now. <laughs> Caffeine like free, of, of course. Pen, it's just... <laughs> I, yeah okay so, and, and then, then the cheat and then and the cheetah the cheeto which is again in the funyun it's it's similar to funyuns in that it's like if there's a cost to a cheeto in that your hands are coated in in orange powder for a they're day they're coming after you whoever makes whoever makes funyuns and cheetos <laughs> are coming after you now they're our sponsor today and so um and then bill murray comes in and he's like just looking like Bill Murray and everyone's like freaking out but trying not to take pictures of him but at right. the same time they're like I have to send this to my parents like, <laughs> it's like, and he, that Emmerafer takes the last bag of Cheetos Look, I mean he's entitled to it for all the joy he's brought us he can have the last Cheeto I don't Cheeto. think so I really don't we're all in there we're working 16 hour days and there's one bag of Cheetos left and Bill Murray who probably has a, a sponsorship right he probably has a, a wing of his house devoted to just yeah, Cheetos he like is half made of Cheetos at this point <laughs> and he takes the last bag and wow. The one person on the earth that hates Bill Murray and it's over a bag of freaking Cheetos. I, I don't hate him. I don't hate him. I just... Don't respect his Cheeto I don't respect him. <laughs> I don't understand. I think he's a little selfish. We spent a lot of time on this intro talking about movie stars and their eating habits. Um, yeah. So, so let's go right to that, to Vin Diesel. The next sounds you're going to hear are Vin Diesel trying to eat a turkey sandwich as I fumble an introduction to this uh, from an unknown restaurant yes we don't know we just don't know um enjoy, Part two. <laughs> enjoy this week's podcast with the last witch hunter himself vin diesel what did his head smell like it smelled good it was it was manly and yet moisturized definitely he definitely tends to that <laughs> We're going to set the scene here, because as we tape this, Vin, it's been quite, a, quite an afternoon for you and me. Mostly for you. <laughs> uh, we just came off the stage of New York Comic Con. That's crazy. Is that, I mean, is that still a rush for you to be out there, thousands of fans, a new property, to hear the kind of response that we all just experienced? He's chewing. <laughs> I'm going to pull the veil back. Should I not have said that, Ben? No, it's okay. Here's what happened. Here's the context. He's been Mom, on stage I'm sorry. For over, I'm, he's, I'm he's been talking with my mouth full. He's been on stage for over an hour. Yeah. The dude needs a bite to eat. I get it. Can I have a turkey sandwich? <laughs> well, I'll just say this. That, um, you know, we've you and I have talked a lot over the years, and it's, it's, it's thrilling to see... You know, what, the word that comes to mind when I think of you is ambition. And this is, you're a guy that doesn't wrestle on his laurels. You're a guy that's always creating, always trying to push himself. Uh, and it's cool to see a franchise like this that's born out of like a deep-seated love come to life. And it's throwing from my position. And I just want to get a sense from you being out here to see the fans respond to that. It's, it's got to be a rush. That is a rush. Um, you know, you don't always think that... You're not sure that the whole that there's a huge um, audience for fantasy because we don't see a lot of fantasy nowadays. So when you talk about wanting to do something in the fantasy world, sometimes people in Hollywood will look at you like, huh? Right. And yet, I think we were smart to couple it with you know, to set it in a modern day setting yeah. to, um, to 
delve back and forth from the the modern day a present New York City and this pre-modern civilization world and I don't know it's just I'm still yeah we are we are kind of overwhelmed with how great that panel that was an exceptional I've done a lot of comic-con panels obviously in San Diego but I don't think I've ever seen such a huge warm reception and people so excited about a brand new IP. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, you got, you know, obviously you get your questions about the other amazing thing of your work is expected, but it's thrilling to see how many people legit are ready to embrace this, which is really cool because we're in a time we alluded to this on stage where the easy thing is to go to something that has some kind of um, intellectual property. that's already has some kind of fan base. People go to that easy realm, especially um, in Hollywood. I mean, yeah. in Hollywood, you know, studios and, and producers, that's the recipe find something that's been done before, find an IP that's been somewhat successful and exploit it. And it's rare to kind of have the confidence or the ambition, as you mentioned before, the desire to start something from scratch. So, since we have some time, uh, as opposed to those horrible four-minute junket slots, to go, oh, we're, we're going to go, like, go deep today. One of us is going to cry. I'm not sure which one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Probably me. Um, I always cry though. It's boring. Now. <laughs> um, I, I took the option actually this morning. I watched um, uh, Multifacial, um, which is about twenty. It's been about twenty years in now, right? That's that was your that was your calling card way back That's when. Exactly twenty years. It's crazy. Exactly twenty. I made it in. 1994, but I was in Cannes in 1995 with it. I mean, talk about an amazing story. Um, tell me like, where you were at in your life, in your career, when you created that, which was, it just struck me, I had, frankly had never seen it before, but it struck me as a calling card as a filmmaker, as an actor. It, it worked on so many levels. Was that a last ditch <laughs> attempt to get going in the business? Was that, what was that at the time for you? Well, as you know, I started acting when I was seven years old, and uh, I was fortunate enough to have a father that directed off 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 Broadway plays and um, taught theater in Brooklyn College. So I was exposed to that, and and I was also raised in an artist housing, so I was exposed to the arts. Um, and I started acting at seven years old, and. By the time I was 23 or 24, I decided to head out to California, head out to Hollywood, and make it big. And I... Easy, easy. Everyone can do it in a second, right? Like that. Easy stuff. <laughs> and I told all the bouncers that I was working with for the last 10 years, or the last five years at that time, I'm going to go to Hollywood and I'm going to be a big star. And I went out to Hollywood and I thought the doors were going to fly open. I thought I was going to be offered every role. And a year and a half went by and I didn't have an agent. I couldn't even get an agent. And so uh, I had to head back to New York with my tail between my legs I was $10,000 in debt and I had to think, I I had to rethink my strategy. Yeah. 
And one of the things I noticed at the time was that not only was I not offered roles, there weren't really a whole lot of roles created for me. Or I guess in Hollywood's eyes, there weren't a whole lot of roles created for me. And because you didn't fit in that box, you I didn't fit in that of... box. I was, I was a little ahead. I was for this millennium. I wasn't totally, I wasn't for that. millennium. <laughs> exactly. I had no place in the last millennium. Uh, I wouldn't have been that kind of six. I wouldn't have reached that kind of success in the last millennium. I had to wait for this millennium and, and I had to somewhat take part in, in spearheading. Um, so that's what I did. I, went back to City College and uh, became a writing major, an English major with a writing concentration, with the sole purpose of writing scripts. You know, when you're a musician or you're a painter, uh, you don't need anyone's permission to be artistic. Right. When you're an actor, you need you depend on other artists before you are ever given the opportunity to be artistic. Right. You need a great writer. You need a great director. And I wanted to start filling some of those hats in service of my initial passion, which was acting. Um, so I went back to college and I um, started writing scripts and I wrote a feature film, and I actually tried to get it made, and I couldn't get it made. And this is kind of important for anybody that's aspiring, anybody that has dreams, anybody that wants to accomplish something. If you can't do it all, do what you can. It is such important advice uh, and advice that I needed because I was trying to do a feature film yeah. and I couldn't get a feature film launched. Nobody knew who I was or what I was capable of or, 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 or if I was capable at all. Right. And I was working at a, I was driving a truck for a catering company here in New York and one of the waiters at the catering company had just directed a short film. Now, to me, if you would have said short film, I would have said, what would be the value of that? Right. But I remember going to a screening, a couple hundred people, and we sat all sat down for, 16 minutes or whatever the length of the short film was. And this short film somehow was able to draw an audience. Yeah. And that experience of being in a theater and watching a movie was real. I remember everyone clapping at the end of the short film and everyone going up to the director and giving him, you know, props and, Love and 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 I thought, oh my God, maybe I should just do a short film. Yeah. I can't get the feature. Maybe I should just simply write a short film. And that weekend, over a night, uh, I wrote multifacial in my bathroom, staring at the mirror. 
I wrote Multifacial. And it was initially just a eight-page script. Mm-hmm. Um, I Then there was a... Uh, Get the name of it. There was a a nonprofit film organization, I think somewhere on Twelfth Street okay. and University, that would let you use their equipment. Uh, would let you rent a Steenbeck because initially this was at the time when editing was not on a computer. <laughs> editing was splicing and using tape and hanging these strands of film uh, and that's how you edited a movie. Half of the audience is like very confused right now. <laughs> yeah, it's so surreal. It's like, just, it's, it almost feels like another time. Yeah. And, um, and I remember actually after filming, for the first thing I did was, you know, I didn't have enough, I knew the film would take three days to make. But I didn't have money enough money for three days worth of camera rentals, so I rented it on a Friday, and filmed it over the weekend and returned it on a Monday. It was a little scam, not a scam, but a little kind of right. trick you could do to get three days production out of one day's cost. So you wrote it in a night, you shot it in three days. This is the best use of time in the history of mankind. It changed your life. It simply changed my life. Um, so much so that, I mean, I had to rent a Steenbeck and, and my mother was like losing her mind when I brought this huge machine <laughs> into the house and said, it has to stay here for a month. She's like, I want that thing out of here. <laughs> but mom, <laughs> this is the device that will change my life. <laughs> trust me. Don't give me one second. It'll change your life, mom. <laughs> trust me. It will be ripple effects. Trust it's me. It's going to change your life. Mom. You know the house you always want in the country? Uh, just, can I please, can you not force this old contraption, pre-war contraption out of my house? Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I, there, there's some other little lessons there too, because, um, after I finished the movie or after the movie was in essence in the can, mm. It, it didn't get transferred yet. Had, there was this whole transfer process. Uh, we used to go up to the mid-50s on 8th Avenue at a place called Duart. That's where all the films went uh, to get transferred. And uh, I had abandoned Multifacial for a minute. And I remember my father, it must have been about eight months after I had kind of abandoned this short film. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I abandoned this short film is I guess I was slightly impatient and I felt like there was no value to having a short film. You'll never make a living off of a short film. You can't sell a short film. Every, the wine scenes are buying everything at Sundance and they're feature films. People are becoming (laughs) rich left and right. What am I going to do with this short film? And nobody had seen this short film. I was the only one that seen it. I didn't show anybody. My father used to say, in, in terms of giving me advice in writing, he would always say, don't tell anybody what you're writing. Don't show it to anyone. Don't look for any immediate gratification. Wait until it's done. Right. There is power in withholding until completion. And I wanted to do the feature because I wanted to change my life. <laughs> I wanted to get it going. 
Well, it was something you could point to. I mean, the genius of it, of course, was like in that age where you couldn't send a link to a YouTube thing. This was the closest thing you could. It's not on paper. This is how I act. This is how I direct. This is my view on the world. Take it or leave it. And clearly somebody wanted to take it. There was no iPhone. There was no iMovie. There was no Vine. There was no Instagram. There was no YouTube. Yeah. (laughs) There was no YouTube. Barely an internet. And barely an internet. (laughs) I mean, literally barely an internet. Um, Barely computers. (laughs) To be honest, I wrote my first script on a word processor. (laughs) My first feature film that I wrote in the early 90s was on a word processor that I had bought from an electronics store called The Wiz. Nobody beats it. Nobody beats The Wiz. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Because they had some new concept that you could return any merchandise (laughs) in 30 days for any reason whatsoever. (laughs) And for like a New York hustler, that was just... Are you joking me? This is probably the reason <laughs> why I got they went a bad out of ankle. <laughs> Wait, what <laughs> happened? Because yeah, they went out of business because of me. Because <laughs> when I heard that, I had a, I I had gotten a, a credit card because I was in college the first time before I went out to California. I was in Hunter College. So I got a credit card, and there was no way that I could pay for this six hundred dollar <laughs> word processor for brother, but. I could definitely make sure I could return and get back in 30 days. <laughs> and the first script I ever wrote, uh, which was Strays, I wrote Strays before Multifacial. Right. Uh, I wrote because I, in essence, rented a word processor from The Wiz. The only way I would have loved that story more is if, you, if it was Crazy Eddie's. Remember that? Crazy Eddie's. <laughs> I was going to say, because... That's way back. That's way back. Cause that's I, way back. I, I think of my grandmother <laughs> when I think of Crazy Eddie's. I grew up in New York as well, and I think this is the only thing you and I probably share uh, is the fact that we, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> we grew up... You make more than me. <laughs> no, please. Um, but I, I'm curious... Do you feel like, I mean, I, I often in these podcasts and these interviews, New York comes up a lot on my end because I feel it defines oh, my view sure. on the world. I mean, you obviously, you don't live here, but I would think that sure. is a formative part of who you are. How would you say your upbringing in that way defines what you are today? Everything. The multiculturalism that I feel like I've been a part of forcing into Hollywood comes from growing up in the melting pot of melting pots. Yeah. When you grow up in Manhattan, you're literally, you're growing up and it's just hard to It's hitting you in the face. You can't, it's, it's, (laughs) there is like, you're one of millions. It's not. And, and in the seventies and the eighties, it's, it's, it's profound. How I, I'm so grateful that I was raised in New York City because it is such a part of me yeah. and such a part of my accomplishments and why I've come this far. It is in everything. Yeah. Um, what you're exposed to in the arts. And I grew up in a time when Soho was just beginning. And so the Soho downtown, you know, it was 10 years after the hippie movement and it was the next decade and the arts came to lower Manhattan and I was a part of that. What were, I I know your dad, your stepdad was a theater director, right? 
Talk to me a little bit about what you what was your bread and butter in terms of pop culture growing up. We know, of course, D and D was a huge part of your life, but like in terms of the filmmakers, the films that you could recite backwards and forwards that you kept coming back to. What was the first stuff that you really soaked into your uh, DNA? Well, I was. Uh, my father had a lot of friends that were actors that would come over. Some friends that were in the actor studio. Um, various friends with different acting methods. And it wasn't uncommon for them to discuss um, Alan Arkin was the best man at my father's wedding. Oh my God. Amazing. Amazing. Kind of weird. No, I don't think I ever told anybody that. <laughs> Isn't that freaky? <laughs> I haven't even seen the guy in 50 years. That's but, amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just cast the next mechanic in a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just thought about him because I, I, I saw a picture with him and 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 Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine. Yeah, uh, and it just struck me like, I wonder if, if, if Michael Caine. And, uh, I wonder if he, Alan Arkin told Michael Caine, <laughs> I knew him when he was just a kid. <laughs> random of all random, amazing. So random. Anyway, um, but. So the discussion of acting and the discussion of method was, you know, common yeah. in, in my house and uh, um, amongst my my father's circles. Um, so seeing movies was part of the family business, right? Right, and something that my father loved to do with us we didn't go to i mean we couldn't afford to go to like the football games and the baseball games and concerts and even broadway plays or any of that it was movies yeah. and you know we would try to fit under that line we tried to fit under that line for solo do you remember there was a no, line i don't when you went into a, a movie that if you were oh. shorter than that line, oh, I say, yeah, you yeah, yeah. pay it half price or something. Got it. So the amusement park kind of rules. Except kind of, that yeah, you get a discount instead of you getting omitted. Amazing. Yeah, discount if you were if you could actually fill in the line. Or the matinees were a little cheaper. Or the or matinees. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I weren't, wasn't with my parents, one kid was going to pay a ticket, and we'd all wait at the back door and sneak into the back. Oh, I don't know about you. Yeah, I skipped many a day at school and just spent the entire day <laughs> yeah. from theater to theater Thank in you. early multiplexes. That's Luckily, it paid off for me, too. Yes, yeah, sure did. <laughs> when we left the theater, whenever I would leave the theater with my father, um, we discussed the movie. Mm. And we discussed the as every aspect of the movie, movie, including, and most importantly, the acting. So I was exposed to the actors that my father loved yeah. and the actors that my grandmother loved. You know, I, I was a big Clark Gable fan, um, which I discovered when I did The Last Witch Hunter that Michael Caine was also a huge Mark, um, Clark, Clark Gable, Gable fan. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. If you really think about it, there are a lot of similarities between Michael Caine and Clark Gable. Huh. Uh, they both had a way, they were both extremely talented, but had a way of coming off like an everyman. Yes. And they had a way of looking as though it was off the cuff and they weren't thinking about it and they, they didn't 
you know, labor over how to yeah. perform it. They you just, don't see the gears turning. You just, you it feels, it's like Gene turn. Hackman, I think of that. It's like everything yeah. is like, oh, he's making it up on the spot. And that's the goal for any actor. That's I would the think. goal for right. any actor, to really be in the moment. Um, so I, that's what I was doing. I, I guess to answer your question in some ways, um, I wasn't a kid seeing movies escaping from my parents' reality. I was seeing movies and understanding further my parents' reality totally. and their perceptions yeah. and their artistry and their sensitivities. And so at a very young age, being thoughtful and reflecting on all aspects, I was, I was a fan of Bud Schulberg at a very early age. Right. I mean, I actually met him. Wow. Uh, which was one of the coolest things in the world because I met him with Spike Lee and then we were talking about this movie, this script that he had written that I'm dying to do and then that's a long story. Well, it, what's interesting to me to hear that kind of thought and, and, and it confirms what I, what I feel like I, I know about you which is that, you know, you have, I think from the outsider perspective, you have this kind of A-B career and that like you have massive pop phenomenon things. It doesn't get any bigger than the kind of franchises that you've been a part of and helped create. And you've also, and some would put this in a different category, worked with Sidney Lumet, just worked with Ang Lee, Steven Spielberg. You created, you were, you were an indie film guy. That's what you came out of. I was a real indie. As indie film. as you get. <laughs> I, that's as indie. I was so indie. My shoestring budgets were just like <laughs> string. I mean, it wasn't even shoestring. Right. It was like dental floss budgets. <laughs> so do you see it as two different things in terms of like, do you compartmentalize fast movies, Riddick movies as one thing and Lumet and Ang Lee as a different thing? Or have you found 20 years in, it's all the same. You can label it what you want, but it's it kind of truly, the same. truly, it's all the same in the approach. It's all the, I, I approach an Ang Lee film the same way I approach Fast and Furious. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. That authenticity is authenticity. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the craft. And that's part of trying to master the craft and getting better at the craft. And I, I've been doing it for a lot of decades and I, I'm still a student. Yeah. Uh, as Ang Lee says, I must, uh, uh, says about himself, and I could concur, uh, I'm a slave to the art. I'm yeah. a servant of the art. Is that what the ambition is now? I mean, what, what, you know, to go back to what we were first talking about, yeah. what is the, what, you know, what would you characterize the ambition now? Because, you know, you put yourself in the hands of someone like Aang, you continue a franchise like Fast, and it's hard to keep topping yourself, but you're endeavoring to do it three more times. You're launching a franchise. I mean, is that just something inherent in you and your upbringing in terms of like always wanting to kind of push? And, you know, Josh... You know what stands out from today's incredible panel? You know when I leave here what I'm going to be thinking about? You know which comment I'm going to think about? I don't. That, that very earnest request for the realization of Hannibal. Which is obviously something you've wanted to helm for many years, and you're not giving up on that. So people go... Oh my God, you're Vin Diesel, man. What's it like waking up being Vin Diesel? I don't think about the accomplishments. Yeah. 
I only think about what's outstanding. I only think about what the the things I will manifest. Yeah. I never even look at movies I've done. I never see. I never go backwards. Are you able to enjoy it then? Because some would argue, take a moment, take a breath, <laughs> enjoy yourself. Then that's fair. That is totally fair. People could argue that, and people close to me could. People close to me could wish that I uh, enjoyed the success more. Right. Uh, do, you, do you learn something? This, this comes up a lot in my conversations of this type of like learning from whether you call them mistakes or missteps or whatever they are. We all go through our ups and downs. Um, you know, it struck me like I, I, I wasn't aware that you, for instance, relatively early on, you worked with John Frankenheimer. And I know you the, 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 the old stories that you were asking, you, you had questions and that John has a, quite a reputation as a tough old school filmmaker. Right. This was on Reindeer Games. Do you learn from an experience like that? Because obviously that didn't end well for. It didn't end well for anyone, <laughs> especially Miramax. Is <laughs> <laughs> so that just desserts? You're like, ha! Ah, the movie didn't succeed without. Me. Oh God! It, it, did, it didn't end well anywhere. Um, but that, what do you take away from something like that? Yeah. What do I learn from something like that? Um, I'll tell you a funny story. I. I went into Miramax and I had just come back to New York for I guess a weekend and I I was um, multitasking in the sense that I hadn't seen my mother in months and needed to see my mother and wanted to spend time with my mother so I went into the meeting at Miramax with my mother and um, Harvey um, Bobby, Bobby and Harvey were had a meeting with me, and we were talking. They had summoned me with, they they had summoned me the, the idea that they wanted me to star in something. Mm-hmm. They said we want you in something. We, we saw you. We want to be in the We want to do something with you. What can we? What can we do with you? Yeah. We hear you just did saving prayer. Ryan. We just we want to. We hear that you did some sci-fi nothing <laughs> film over in Australia. You know, this is the time when Supernova had come out right. at like two, seven million or something like that. So people had, didn't have a whole lot of faith in, yeah. in whatever the hell we were doing in Australia. It didn't matter. <laughs> it was nothing. Right. And I'm saying, but it might be something. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of felt good, guys. <laughs> uh, I, I, okay, if it's nothing, it's nothing. All right, I'm, I, I'm hungry no matter what, so it doesn't matter. So let's talk. So you have something. So, and my agent and my managers were like, they want to give you a half a million dollars to star in something. And get this you can pick one of five different scripts. It's just so couch talky. It's just a, not, not even, you don't even think that's real anymore. But like, yeah, we love him so much. We're going to pay him 500,000 and he can pick, he can pick five, one of five different scripts. Amazing. And I'm like, like you want to go on a game I, show. Yeah, yeah. It's like, so I get there and I, and I'm like, this is exciting. You know, I know you guys are huge and you guys have done such a great job you know, transitioning from Sundance to the Oscars. I'd love to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I say, hey, you know, we have one other thing. Uh, Yeah, we're going to give you this. 
$500 deal, $500,000 deal. And that was a lot. Same part, Ryan, I was at 60000 or seventy-five. $75,000 for it. was the first time I ever got paid as an actor. And I spent half of that uh, by giving my mother uh, her first trip to Europe. Um, and the other half went to the reps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, so I'm, this half a million dollar conversation is serious. This is a life changer and, at the time. It's a yeah. life changer for sure. Yeah. And, um, and so just as the meeting, oh, we love that you brought your mother in. We named our company after right. Miriam and Mac and Mary. <laughs> and that's really cool. And we love it. I'm like, yeah, you guys, this is great. Yeah. And they said, um, we have one little small thing. There's a, something that we're doing over here. Um, director John Franker, it's a film called Reindeer Games. We want you to play this one character. We really think it's a, okay, what is the character about what is what is he well he's like a thug but he, he can really you can do anything you want with him and frankenheimer you guys uh, you, you know you can talk to frankenheimer and you can you can really manifest it you can really create your own character with this is the deal with the devil to get the 500k and the pick that's the idea exactly and so i'm going hey maybe this is a blessing <laughs> okay cool all right who and Ben Affleck, I just did Boiler Room with Ben Affleck. Uh, yeah, and Danny Trejo, and uh, the dude from Boss Squad, <laughs> and um, Gary Henney, and Charlie Theron. Like, okay, this could be cool. I knew games. And I read this script, and I had tons of ideas. So, uh, in order for me to do it, I had to have a conversation with John Frankenheimer. I get on the phone with him, and I start... I don't think he even expected it. Yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> I don't think he even expected it. Yeah. And I just started going in about the character. I like to do this. This is what this character is. He's from here. He comes in. He's yeah. got Coke bottle glass. I mean, yeah. I'm going really creating a character, trying to really assist this film. Right. This is not way. coming from a selfish place. This is no. your process. You're, this you're, is my you want to, yeah. And creating a character, yeah. a significant character. Yeah. You've seen Boiler Room. You've seen I'm doing these characters and trying to contribute something to the movie yeah. setting. And he says, Oh, I love it. Oh, great. Yes. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. That's good. Oh, yeah, great. That'd be perfect. Oh, super. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Wine sins? Yeah, I'll do it. I had a really good conversation with... Uh, I, have. I get up to Vancouver. <laughs> I feel like I'm there. I'm tense just feeling this built up. We're at a table read. Hey, Ben, how you doing? Oh, hey. Oh, hi, honey. Oh, yeah. Hey. Danny Trail, man. Oh, you're cool, man. Yeah, I love you. Tim Burrow. And we sit around, we're doing this reading, and um, I... Everyone's making line changes. As you do. Yeah. Oh, this line doesn't work. Can we come up with another line? I want to change this line. And I had like a one word. 
um, I don't know if it was like a, something like these or those. Like no, literally, literally like <laughs> nothing. Can I change the possessive article the here possessive a little article. It was zero. There was nothing significant at all. Right. And he did something very dismissive and just, um, <laughs> which is the worst thing you could do. What did he to do? An he just went, no, just keep it that. Cause it's just keep that. <laughs> and then I'm sitting around for another hour and I'm watching everybody change their <laughs> lines and not necessarily for the better. Sure. And so I'm like, huh? And then I'm like, Hmm. Maybe I have to have a conversation with him. And so I say, can I talk to you about this? And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, I'm really, I got, I got a lot of people I got to deal with. I'll talk to you at the end of the day. So I wait from lunchtime till about seven o'clock. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. <laughs> and then finally he calls me into his trailer. After everyone is gone, grips are tearing stuff down. They're <laughs> gone. And I'm this love that's been waiting, waiting, waiting. And he calls me into the trailer and he has the writer there. I'd love to find that writer that was there. And, and, and <laughs> it was Aaron find, Kruger, right? Wasn't yeah, he the writer? We got to find him. I'd love to hear the story. The, the, <laughs> the AD of this. Yeah, I would love to. Just for my own clarity. Just for my own reminiscence. Oh, my God. Um, and I, he invites me to the trailer and he says, Look here, Ben. You're a new person in Hollywood. I mean, really. I mean, what, you, you know, dead saving prime, but what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I know I told you stuff on the phone, but I'm too busy, too old, and too goddamn rich <laughs> to worry about what I said on the phone. And my heart dropped. Oh, man. My heart dropped like. Yeah, suddenly it went from collaboration to antagonism and dismissiveness. That's the; these are not the hallmarks of a creative set, <laughs> or the Hollywood that you've dreamed of your whole life. Yeah. The Hollywood that you dream of your whole and the experiences that I've had. I mean, Ben Younger couldn't have been more collaborative. Right. That whole scene of me holding up. That speaker and boiler room came from my real experience right. selling tools. It's what I did. Yeah. I went from filming strays to a, a, a $47,000 film to, at the time, a huge $67 million saving by Ryan. And what what was so remarkable and so refreshing was I saw the same enthusiasm from Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. And that was empowering. That made me feel great about Hollywood. But this. The cynicism, the let's just get through the day. Oh and <laughs> God. I've never, ever, 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 ever seen anything like this. And he must have seen that my heart dropped. Because 
I was very calm about it. And once he said that I I'm, can be sometimes that person, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I can be that kind of person that if I feel like I've been crossed somehow, yeah, it, that New Yorker kicks in. And yeah, not totally. <laughs> And he said, um, and I said, well, I, I did just do this movie called Pitch Black. And um, I'll say, um, I, I also did a movie called uh, The Boiler Room. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I'm not I, just a hired hand. I, I actually do know my shit. <laughs> there's some of the stuff that I've done. Yeah. And you know that I directed a few things and was in Sundance and dramatic competition in space. But that was just, but you're right. Because he said something like, there are thousands of actors in Hollywood that would love to have this role. And I said, you're right. And his face changed. <laughs> I said, there are thousands of actors in Hollywood that would love to have this role. And you should give it yeah. to one of those thousands <laughs> of actors. <laughs> And his face changed and he said, you saw in an instant when somebody realizes, I guess, who you are yeah. or, or something about the core in you. Well, yeah. Something. This is not the, the pawn piece that I need, this like lifeless, just the vessel. This is someone that actually has ideas and I don't have the energy at this point in my career to deal with collaboration. <laughs> yeah. Or, 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 oh my God, did I just... Did I ha mishandle somebody that yeah. is really going somewhere, yeah. is really deeply dead, and is all of this coming from a real place? Yeah. And he said, um, he said, when when his faith changed, he went, ah, uh, well, what what are the ideas? And had the writer there, and I humored him, and started telling that the writer was just like, that's a great idea. <laughs> oh yeah, we could do that. Oh, that's super. And. Um, but my heart was already broken. Yeah, it was over. Yeah. My heart was, it was like broken. And he gave me, he said, come on, come on, give me a hug. And he gave me a hug. And I just looked at him kind of like wishing him well. And, but I knew he was. The ship had sailed. The ship had sailed. <laughs> and I got back to my hotel. And the first person I called was my mother. And I said, Mom. I've got too much into I don't feel like I can go against my code here. I don't think I can take the half a million dollars. Yeah. Well, the integrity is a little more worthwhile than the 500K. <laughs> and I remember telling Danny Trejo, Danny Trejo, uh, uh, we shared a car home. And I'm looking at him like, and he's just like, no, just be cool, man. It's going to be okay. And uh, <laughs> it's not going to be okay. And the first person I called was my mother. I said, Mom. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I, I'm not going to be able to do this. And I'm almost asking her to forgive me right. for potentially losing the only half a million dollars our whole family line would ever see. Right. The second person I called was Stacy. <laughs> um, I know our time is short, and I, I want to cover a couple other things before you run. Um, you mentioned Hannibal, which will happen. You're gonna, this is going to come into existence. Because of you, Josh Horowitz! <laughs> All of us together. Um, were you serious? Are, do you think before the Fast franchise ends, you're going to direct one of these? Is that something that's important to you that you feel is the right, makes the most sense? 
No. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a method to my mother's madness. <laughs> so uh, I, I think when she says, uh, director, don't do it, I think she's basically saying, you don't have to do everything, essentially, or, uh, or get back to your directing thing, or she I get in some ways I think she's trying to support my my standards yeah. you know she was she was really supportive when I turned down Too Fast Too Furious she's she 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 likes it when I, yeah. I I stand up for things and there's a method to my madness and but she wants me to direct desperately so is it a case of like you obviously have F. Gary Gray, and there are plenty of really cool filmmakers you will find to f- finish us out. And, and meanwhile, you've got Hannibal, which will clearly be that project that sounds I'd like, like... I'd like Justin Lin to have... I feel like Justin Lin's done a lot of work in the franchise. Yeah. My heart feels like I would want to make some available for Justin Lin. Totally. Talk to me as we kind of wrap up. I'm just curious, like, again, as an appreciator of acting, of film, as a fan today... What do you get off on? What's exciting? Because this is the time for us, right? This is like, it all happened. And when you're reaping the benefits, I'm reaping it from my end. Um, what are you enjoying in, in uh, pop culture? I mean, are you a fan of all the comic book films? What's, the, what's been the most exciting kind of stuff you've seen in recent years? Um, I, I guess um, I, I'm a... I, I'm excited about David Ayer. Uh, I, I'm, he was, you know, a Fast One alumni. Mm-hmm. And he, the fact that he's just directed that movie for... Looks amazing. Suicide Squad, yeah. Looks so much fun. And yeah. I'm so proud of him. And I know his heart's in the right place. And I know he's really going to do something special. Uh, that's the most recent time I went. Oh yeah, yeah. Is um, is Inhuman something that you feel is a real thing, or is one of those fun things to kind of talk about and eh, daydream? If it happens, we'll see. Is that something you serious? I don't do about? if it. I don't do too much if it happens. Okay, <laughs> so I should yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Whether smoke, there's fire. Usually with you. <laughs> if there's smoke, there's fire. But I don't do too much if it happens. It's more. At what level will it happen? I just got through telling you this whole story. Yeah. Reindeer games happened. Yeah. But it wasn't going to happen the right way. Yeah. So it's not a matter of me wooing Marvel. It's a matter of Marvel wooing. (laughs) Fair enough. enough. And I love them, but I'm just saying, (laughs) show me a dope script and show me a great director and, and, all of which I know that that Kevin is is capable of because yeah. he dazzled me when he suggested Groot. I mean, that was like profound to me. Yeah. Uh, of course, he was you know playing off of the Iron Giant, um, so it did feel like a natural next step for that, but in a way to service the Iron Giant in a kind of new form. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it couldn't that, have gone better. I mean, it couldn't have gone better. Yeah. It was, I thought it was a genius. So I'm, I'm not doing anything just for work. Yeah. I'm doing things that I could feel passionate about and that I feel I could contribute to. And 
There are so many times where someone will offer me a script and I'll say, this script would be better for so-and-so or this role would be better for so-and-so. That just happened two weeks ago with a friend of mine uh, who runs a studio. And I, I want to really feel like I'm making a contribution uh, and that I can and that there's s- something thematic that I believe in um, when I make a movie. It's been fun to dive deep with you today, man. I'm so thrilled um, for The Last Witch Hunter. As uh, you know, I love this one. It's a lot of fun. Um, and to see it come, as I said, out of like a, a good place. Out of There's nothing like calculated about this. It's out of love and it's out of um, a love for the audience and a love of what you, your core beliefs. So um, next time you have to teach me how to drive one of these days. I still don't have my driver's license. Get out of here. I don't. I, I, so I'm still in New York. I never got- Are you shitting me? No. I always see you in LA. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm here. I'm still here, buddy. So I next time, take me out on the drive co- like you won't believe. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to take you to stunt driving school with me. I'm ready. That's what I should do with you on the next fast. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I'll suggest it. On the next fast interview, let me take Josh over to uh, one of my stunt driving schools and let him play around. <laughs> Show. Yeah, I'll take you with me. It's a lot of fun. I'm ready. It's uh, dangerous, but it's fun. It's good fun. <laughs> I'll trust you. you Only you. You trust me. Uh, it's good to see you, buddy. Congrats again. Always good to see you, Josh. And, you know, when I see you and when I talk to you, what's refreshing about talking to you is I have a history with you that includes some very memorable and important moments to me. So right back at uh, you, buddy. I'm, I'm talking to a friend and I'm talking to somebody that I trust. Uh, so it's always, always good to talk to you, Josh. Thanks, man. On to the next one. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Hello, podcast listeners. Now that your program has ended, why not listen to the best podcast in the universe? Improv for Humans. Oh, welcome to Improv for Humans with Matt Besser. That's me. Improv of legend Matt Besser and his friends. Take your suggestions. Three of the best improvisers in the world will be improvising off your suggestions given to me at Twitter, newspaper articles. We're going to crap on YouTube. And turn them into long-form improv comedy. Hello, nine one one. What? What's your emergency? Uh, look, I am being, I am being, I am being harassed by my bank. Hold on a second. First, I need you to pick a sight key picture. Oh, Jesus! Uh, you can pick a boat. You can pick a candy cane. You can pick a pumpkin. I'll take the boat. Pick, I will take the uh, boat. Please listen to all the options first, sir. You can pick a block of cheese, or you can pick a wheel of cheese. Is the. Uh, um I'm sorry, I'll sir. Take, that you only had you I'll only had five God seconds. Damn it! You only had five seconds. God the police cannot help you. Listen to Improv for Humans on iTunes, Iwolf.com, Howl, or your favorite podcast app. Pop. 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 This has been a Wolf Pop production. Executive produced by Paul Shear, Adam Sachs, Chris Bannon, and Matt Gorley. For more information and content, visit wolfpop.com.